Good morning, you guys. Well, I'm Chauncey, um, Geraldi Elder on staff here at the church. Please don't call me Elder Chauncey. Please do me a favor of that, right? And Pastor Steve asked me to talk this morning about really anything I wanted to, and, you know, I just couldn't help. I was like, I'm going to talk about Jesus. <laughs> I couldn't help. I got to talk about Jesus. So we're actually going to be opening up in John chapter 13, and I was going to go a whole different route this morning, but... <laughs> um, God just led me another way. You know when he does that? He's just kind of like, here's your plan. I want to do this, right? Let's do something else. And kind of confirmed the other day as I was walking down through Kilauea Elementary School, prepping for it. I'm like, what do I talk about, Lord? And I look up, and I don't know if you've been there at this school, giant sign says forgiveness. I was like, okay. (laughs) I'll talk about servanthood and forgiveness. So the title of my message this morning, you guys, is Who is Jesus? the true and ultimate picture of servanthood and forgiveness. And we're going to look at that through the passage of John chapter 13 without skipping a beat. Let's dive in. There's a lot I want to jump into here. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I have to stop there you guys, because the biggest thing I want you to see as we go through this passage is this idea of the Son leaving the Father, right? Coming to earth in man's form. And in the lowliest of ways, as we'll see continuously through this passage, he offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins, right? And then he returns back To the Father. We're going to see kind of that process shown in this passage over and over. He loved them till the end. You know what's so amazing in there? It says Jesus knew the hour, right? And it's not saying, it's not saying necessarily he knew the exact hour, but more of the time. The time was coming and it was short. The time between now and his crucifixion was very short, as you know, as we're starting right here in in chapter 13. It was very short between that time period. And can you imagine, you guys, the unsettling feelings someone would have if they're about to be sacrificed, if they're about to be tortured, the unsettling whispers of Satan to him, right? Like, really, Jesus? This is all you got? These guys in front of you? This is your plan, right? I can imagine Satan whispering, I'm going to slaughter you. Like, just imagine that, right? The whispers that Satan could cause in that moment. And then I sink into those words, he loved them till the end. Knowing this, hearing all of this, he loves them till the end. Right? We got to grasp this love, church, right? And I think in so many ways we do, but let's grasp it even deeper and deeper today. He loved them till the end. You know, if I could put this in a practical sense, have you guys ever seen the movie? Raise your hand if you've seen it. I Still Believe by Jeremy Camp's kind of story. Some of you have seen it, right? Beautiful story. If you want to see your husband cry, show him this story, this movie, right? I still believe it's like, you know, he, Jeremy Camp, the musician, the actor at the time in this story falls in love. The woman has cancer, right? And he loves her till the end. Just a beautiful story. Doesn't leave her. He stays with her, sacrifices even some of his musical career and loves her till the end all the way through. You know what this story would look like if Jesus was in there? Right? It would be like if he walked over to the wife, the spouse, and said, man, you are suffering. I can see it. I can't let you do that. He grabs his hand, grabs her hand, right? Sucks out all the cancer, 
into himself. So she has no more cancer. And then he endures the whole process of cancer all the way to the end. You think about that. Like maybe friends you know who have cancer right now. He endures that whole process all the way till death. Right? And then in the moment, a few days later, where she's sad and in sorrow and feels hopeless, he comes knocking on the door. Opens the door and he says, glad that's over. Like, let's move on. Could you imagine? <laughs> that's unthinkable, right? That's what Jesus did, right? In a practical sense so we could see it. see it. That's his love. Love till the end. It's so hollow sometimes in our relationship. We may tell our kids, yeah, Jesus loves you. God loves you. But let's not make it so hollow. Let's really sink into the truth of this. It's not, it's not just a word or a phrase, right? Let's continue on here. And I want you to notice as we go into verse 2 through 3, what Jesus knows here. Verse 2 and 3, what does Jesus know here? Okay. And supper being ended, the devil having already put, in, put it into the heart of Jesus Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and it was going to God. Guys, supper is ending. Again, hour after hour is going by, closer to his torturing. He knows this. The betrayal of Judas is coming up. It says later in that chapter, he's going to betray him. He knows who it is. And quick side note, if you think about this, raise of hands. How many of you know how much was the cost for the betrayal of, Ju- of Jesus? How much was Judas paid, right? Did anybody say 30 think 30 pieces of silver. Anybody know, raise your hand if you know the price, what 30 pieces of silver is worth at that time, the price for a slave, right? So that's how much someone would pay for a slave at that time. Crazy, right? So Jesus sees this. He knows who's going to be his betrayer. He also knows that the Father has given all things into his hand. He can change it. He can say, no, 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 no. Let's, let's just adjust. I'm not really feeling the torture thing right now. Let's just change the plan. Nobody doesn't, right? Because he goes through with it for our sake. And then we know here in verse 3 the, that he's going to be, he came from God. He's going to be going back to God. He knows the process. He doesn't want to rush it. He knows exactly what he's doing. Guys, in this passage, we see Jesus so mission-minded. I can't imagine, again, being him in this moment, knowing what's about to happen to me, I might tuck and run, right? And then, and then knowing that I've come from the power, I have from the Father, I have all the ability, if I want you to get out of this, I could just go there right now. And he says, no, I've got to follow through with this. Guys, you got to understand, this was no kamikaze. You know what kamikazes are, right? The planes that, they just go crashing in, right? This was no fluke, last minute decision, kamikaze move. This was the greatest special ops rescue that we could ever know, right? Intentional plan to the T. He knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what his mission was, and he was going to carry it out to completion. The question for us at times and at this very moment can be, man, do we have a mission? Right? Do we know who our father is, and we know where we're going, Right? But can it be so true sometimes that we can say, man, I know of some coming suffering that's coming my way. We can tuck tail and run. We can get scared. We can say, no, that's what's coming up. I don't want to go there. Right? 
And on the flip side, can't we at many times say, man, I just want to be with the Father? You ever, you ever, hopefully all of you have experienced this before, but just been held. Like when you're a kid, if you had a good parent, if you don't know what that's like, watch my son David. He wants to be held every second. I put him down. <laughs> he wants to be held every second. Can you imagine what it would be like to be held by the Father right now? Your heavenly Father. And at many times, can't we say, man, I just want to be held by the Father, and we can become so unproductive because we're looking for that moment instead of what our mission is right now. Okay, I don't want to hit you with too many stones here. Okay, I want to do this together because it's, it's convicting to me as well. <sighs> Part three, let's go into verse four and five here, you guys. I want to take this slow. I want to break this down and take the time I need into this because I think there's so much symbolism in here that we need to grasp onto. Jesus does the unthinkable here. You guys, he corrects the disciples' whole way of thinking. So it starts by knowing all of this. He can change it, but he doesn't. And here's what he does instead. He rises from supper, lays aside his garment. He takes a towel and girds himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. Guys, let's start with rising, laying aside his garments. I don't know if you're certain of this or if you know this, but typically, you know, we know in Scripture that Jesus had um, a garment woven in one piece. Okay, typically, maybe at that time, people would wear different pieces of fabric woven together, but he would be found wearing a garment in one piece. The only correlation and connection we would see in that in Scripture as well, too, is the priests would wear a garment in one piece. And catch this, stay with me, don't blink here, because the only time the priest would take off his garment, if you know this, you're stoked on it right now, the only time he would take off his garment is when he would be going into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, to bear the iniquities for the sins of the people. And the only other time we see Jesus taking off his garment other than this is when he's on the cross, bearing his iniquities for the sins of the people. Beautiful, right? He lays aside his garments. We, we count this as laying aside his glory for us, right? And then he takes the towel. You guys, he girds himself with is what he says. I don't know, I've, I've heard in, in many discussions before, this could be linen, this could show righteousness as he wipes our feet. I don't know what that means exactly, but what I do know is this was total preparation for service, lowly service, right? David Connor reminded me the other day the, the role of the one washing the people's feet as they came in, that was typically a role for Gentiles, not for Jews, right? It was so low. And that position we know is so low to wash the dirt off of the people's feet that are coming into your home is disgusting, right? And so, guys, let's just even take this moment to pause and realize that there is no role menial or task too menial for the Christian to perform, right? Like Jesus did it. No task is too low. Typically because we know how worth it the people are in front of us. We know how worth it each one of you are to us. That's why we're willing to go through that, just as he is here. Right, that lowly service. And then what he does here, catch this, guys. Stick with me. He pours the water into the basin. Don't you just, when I think of water pouring into the basin, 
I think of, I think of Ephesians 5, like washing of water through the word, right? That's what men are called to do to their wives. Washing of water through the word. But here's the kicker. Jesus is the word, right? John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Crazy. He is the word. He's pouring himself out for us. The word became flesh. He pours out his word to make us clean. But here's what happens sometimes is when we see the water, we see the dirt on our feet. We don't like that sometimes. Right? We're like, Omar, that clean water and my dirty feet. It enhances how dirty our feet are sometimes. But we got to come before him. Right? And it is the word that cleanses us. You'll see here in a minute, I'll highlight Peter's move here and why he, um, Jesus says what he says, but I'm going to hit on it here right now. John 15, 3 says, they were cleansed by hearing him, right? I cleansed you with my word. They believed the word, and he, he's washing, the word is washing their feet right now, right, in this moment. And then what we see here as well is he begins to cleanse their feet. Remember, he's in the lowliest of positions. He begins to cleanse their feet. I think about all the people in this room right now. He didn't clean one person's feet. And he didn't say, let me demonstrate my love to you. And wash one little toe. And then says, servant, wash the rest. Right? No, he cleaned 24 feet. Dirty feet that came off the road. He cleaned 24 feet. And I'm imagining as that towel is girded around his waist, he's going around person after person, getting between Thomas's toes, right, feeling the calluses of each person. As he's wiping and going around each foot, guess what's happening, right? Their feet are becoming clean, but his towel is becoming dirtier, soiled more and more and more. You know where I'm about to go here. Right? He's taking on their sin. He's taking on their dirt. He's taking on their muck. Right? Which reminds me of that passage in 2 Corinthians. He made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that we may be righteous on his behalf. He's taking upon that sin, laying it upon himself. And here's what's so beautiful. We'll see in a little bit. Don't forget it. We'll see it in a little bit. He doesn't just hold it. He doesn't just keep that sin doesn't keep that muck from their feet. He lays it aside, and he puts back on his glory, puts back on his garments. Right? He lays it aside. He doesn't keep it. Why would he keep that? But he lays it aside and puts back on his glory, back to his place with the Father, like we were just hearing, right? So let's continue on here. Verse 6. Then, this is my favorite part, the comedy sequence here. Then he came to Simon Peter, And Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Right? He's a little pompous sounding in this moment, possibly. (laughs) Or you could take the other side of Peter, which might be unworthiness. Are you washing my feet? I I think if I want to tap into that a little bit more, I think about John the Baptist. The one, he's coming, who's I'm unfit to untie even his sandals. Right? And so it would make sense. He's like, I'm unfit to untie his sandals, but Jesus himself is washing the feet, right? And Peter's like, no, no, I cannot. So it makes sense why Peter would say, don't wash my feet, Lord, no way. Just like John the Baptist would say, I'm unworthy to even untie his sandals, let alone wash his feet, right? And then he says something 
amazing here. Jesus answers and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. I think that's so beautiful, you guys, because many times in my counseling career, and I think if, you're, if you've been a counselor in here before, and I think everybody at some point has, you've, have, you've had someone come to you and say, what's going on? What's happening? Explain what's going on in my life right now. I don't understand. And I think it's so beautiful here how Jesus says, you may not understand right now, but after this, you will. And I think that's beautiful in counseling. It's wrong of someone like me, one who knows scripture, right, to be able to imprint. Maybe it's because of this. Maybe it's because of this. Maybe it's because I'm guessing, and I might be doing more damage. What's more important in this moment here that I see that's a lesson for all of us is it's okay, it's honorable to know that we might not understand in this moment. We may not, you may not understand, as he's, Jesus may be speaking to you right now, what's going on in your life right now. You may not understand, but at some time, you, may, you, sometime you will. It may be shown to you, whether here or in heaven, right? So Peter didn't understand this moment, is what Jesus is saying, right? And Peter said, oh, right? Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. He keeps pushing back. And then Jesus says something awesome here. If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And I love Peter's response. Peter kind of reminds me of maybe those guys in the church sometimes that just push. They push the buttons, right? And I love that Peter knows when to stop. Like he knows what side Jesus is on here, and he knows when to be on his side. He knows like, okay, I'm totally wrong, wrong in that way. Wash all of me then, Jesus. Please wash all of me. Peter knows when to let go and listen and to stand with Jesus. Let's look at verse 10 here. Jesus said to him, oh, oh yeah, I'm sorry. Lord, not my hands, my feet only, but wash all of me, right? And then in verse 10, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is com- needs not, wait, needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. Guys, what's essentially happening here is Jesus is telling Peter, there's something that's made you clean, but I still need to wash your feet right now. And that goes back to that passage, John 15, 3, that I was talking about earlier, where he says, you know, because of the words I've spoken to you, you're clean. Could it be baptism? And is baptism good? That's the kind of the argument some people say, like, oh, He's clean, he's been baptized, but really what Jesus, if we're staying in context here, what happened is Jesus spoke the word to them. And because of the words he'd spoken, that's what made them clean, because they believed in his word. Is baptism good? Yes, totally, we should. Much of scripture speaks about that, but guys, recognize it's in here, believing the word, right? It's not about that word appearance, okay? So, he needs only to wash his feet, but he's still not clean. Not all of you is clean. He's washing his feet. Guys, what does this speak to, the continuous renewing and sanctification that Jesus is in our life? We must come to him on a daily basis, right? Not just the one prayer where I walked up and raised my hand, all that kind of stuff. It's the daily sanctification, washing and renewing as Jesus washes our feet when we come to him. 
Jesus saves us continually and cleanses us as we gather sin in our lives as Christians. <laughs> you imagine, again, the muck he lays upon himself. You know, this kind of reminds me of like that person with sin issues. <laughs> that person that's like, they're saved, but they got some stuff we got to work out. And don't we all? We all got some stuff we got to work out. But this is about the ongoing healthy walk of sanctification that Jesus brings us through. That's that question when somebody says, hey, yo, bro, sis, cuz, whatever, how, how's your walk going? How you doing? They're not asking you if you're saved, right? Are you saved today? Are you saved tomorrow? No, they're asking you, how's your relationship with Jesus going? Have you come to him? Have you let him wash your feet this morning? Right? Imagine, you guys, if we made sure that happened every day, that whatever comes between us and Jesus is stopped right there. Right there. We don't let it linger. We come to Jesus in that moment, let him wash our feet and, and move whatever is between us and him. And the beautiful thing is God already eliminated it, but sometimes we can keep it in the way. Right? It's like keeping short accounts. Austin will like this, finance guy. Right? Keep short accounts versus long accounts with God. Right? So if you have a credit card, you make your short account, you make a purchase, you come back, you pay it off, done. Next purchase and continue going. Long accounts, you let it accrue, you build up loan, you build up a lot of debt, right? God's already paid the price, but he's saying keep short accounts. Come to me all the time in that moment. He gives us that option. So yeah, it's a question for us this morning. How's our walk with him? And my, my encouragement for us you guys, is don't be a Judas, <laughs> right? Jesus knew. He still washed his feet. Judas knew. He let him wash his feet, and he continued to do what he was going to do. Don't be a Judas in this church today. You can sit here. You can listen to the word. You can dwell amongst each other, but don't be a Judas in the end. Let him wash your feet, and let him wash your life to completion. I don't know. I went too far on that. My bad. Okay, verse 13 through 17. Verses 13 to 17. Actually, I'm sorry, 12. So when he had washed their feet, again, that part I was referencing to, he took his garments, sat down again. He put on the glory, sat down again. And he says this, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. I love that. Nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. That blessed just means happy, happy are you if you do them. Right? Do we call Jesus our Lord and teacher, as it says in here, right? He said, you call me Lord and teacher. What does that mean? My teacher, I listen to him. You guys are kind of listening to me in this moment, right? Your teacher. But is he your Lord, right? The Lord of your life, the one you obey and you follow and carry out orders from. If that's the case, then we need to do as he's doing. That's what it's saying here. Not that we literally need, I was going to make us wash feet this morning. Be happy I don't, I didn't, right? Be happy I didn't. There's a whole other purpose here. It's not only about washing your feet. But he tells us to do as he did here as, you know, as he is the Lord and teacher of our lives. 
This reminds me of going back to that passage in Ephesians 5, where it says, wives, love your husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, right? And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church in this way. So if he's the Lord of our lives and he's doing this, how much more husbands should we be willing to do that for our wives? Should we be willing to serve, forgive, be that one who takes the first step, right? Like my wife and I had a little bit of a tussle, not wrestling, okay, <laughs> the other day, but we had a little bit of a disagreement. And my heart through reading this passage was like, I got to be the first one to go back and, and just say I'm sorry, just to, to go into that moment of healing, you know, to be the first one to open that gate. Can we do this? Can we do this not with our husband and wives only, but within each other, this body? Can we take that lowest position? Right? I, I, what I really was hoping to do in this passage was to magnify and enhance what Pastor Steve talked about last week. Right? So turn to Philippians 2, Philippians 2.5, and I want to lay down this comparison. I want to magnify what he talked about. Let, it says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. And continues on here to show how, God, how Jesus has returned to his rightful place. Guys, this is the picture of true servanthood. Jesus comes to serve, right? He came to Jerusalem on a donkey, the beast of burden. But he's coming one day in glory as a conquering hero, right? But right now, as he's shown us in this passage, he comes as a servant, humbly, lowly in position, and forgives us, forgave them because he loved them so much. Think about the timing of all this. Think about the timing of all this, right? Jesus limits himself He's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He limits himself of all deity, right? He's filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And he washes Judas's feet, showing that he forgives him even though he knows what's already going to happen. That's where I'm getting to the point. He shows true servanthood, but he also shows ultimate forgiveness. Colossians 3, 12, and 13 says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, as he's washed your feet. Right? And again, when I was talking about the timing, think about when this was. What's nighttime in Jewish culture? Morning in our culture. The first thing we're going to eat, we're going to wash, forgive each other, and show true service to each other. Imagine if our morning was getting washed, was letting Jesus wash our feet every morning. If that's what we went to first, to let him wash our feet, right? And then we, with compassionate hearts, desire to so serve others and forgive what others have done in our lives in that moment, too. The first thing you do. 
and you'll be blessed is what it says in the end of this. You'll be happy. I'm so glad he doesn't say you'll be saved. <laughs> right? If you do this, you'll be saved. Because let me tell you, I'm just as much of a mess. I think we can all speak to that. But you'll be blessed and you'll be happy. This is like a true proverb we can all adopt to show true forgiveness in this way, to serve each other in this way. Again, I was going to wash. <laughs> I was going to encourage you guys to wash each other's feet, but I really want you to imagine how, in this passage, how Jesus has washed your feet right now. So you don't have to get up, but just imagine how you sitting right there. He's come off this. He's come up off this stage and he's washed every one of your feet in this moment. And I want you to begin to think to yourself, whose feet can I begin to wash, relationally? Maybe that first person who pops up in your mind, right? Guys, what this means as we look through this passage means that you're going to limit yourself as Jesus limited himself, right? Came here. You're going to take the form of a servant as he took the form of a servant, right? You're going to hold nothing against the people who are around you, not just in the church, but in your life. You're going to hold nothing against them, and you're going to love them as Christ loved you. That's forgiveness. That's that taking that lowly position of a servant's, servant's heart. That's who Jesus was. So I just want to encourage you today not to just walk out of this room and forget the words that I've said, right, but to take the mantle of servanthood and forgiveness because we know where we're going. We know the time is short and the hour has come, right? We just talked about awaiting his coming. Right? We just had that conference. How many of you went out to that conference? Just a few. Okay, some, a little bit. <laughs> if you went to that, the hour is coming, right? The growing pains we can see. And what did Jesus do when the hour was coming and the growing pains he could see? He served and forgave. All the more, what should we do as his ambassadors, as the ambassadors of Christ, to serve and forgive, to walk as he walked in the very last moments, Right? Because we know we're riding with him as a conquering hero when he returns. <laughs> so I hope that was a blessing to you guys. I love you guys. And let's, uh, let's pray it out. Lord, thank you for just uh, washing our feet this morning. Sanctifying, renewing us. Thank you for speaking your word to us. Making us whole and complete and sacrificing for us. The simplest um, thing can happen as we can begin to think this is basic, but it was unthinkable. And so I just pray that we can continue to do the unthinkable in our lives with each other and other people, to serve and to forgive as Jesus did so to us, as you are our Lord and Master. Continue to let my brothers and sisters chew on this this week. Bless them as they continue to serve and forgive others. We'll give you all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.